Look into the Word of God and uh, allow it to transform us. Let me just say, though, that the Arabian Peninsula is a unique place. And this is a unique time to be living and working and partnering with what God is doing in, in the Arabian Peninsula. And we're so glad that you here at High Point could be a part of that with us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for all people, regardless of what ethnic or religious cultural background that they come from. And we've heard uh, many people tell us that uh, you shouldn't evangelize or you shouldn't convert people from other backgrounds. Let them be the way they are. However, you know, if you think about it, people have been converting. People have been following Jesus uh, or, or turning away from false religion to to serve and worship the living and true God since the days Jesus walked the planet. Since the days that Paul went through the Mediterranean, people have been converting from false religion to worship the true and living God. Living overseas for some time now and working with the church uh, that we're working with, with people from so many different backgrounds, the truth of that, that truth of the gospel has become ever more clear for us. And we're going to look at a passage today. Our passage is, is going to be 1 Thessalonians. You can begin turning there if you have your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As we look at the passage today, we'll see why this gospel is so compelling. Um, and we'll consider the power of God in the gospel, the imitation of the gospel, or the imitation of Christ in the gospel, and the effect of the gospel. So those three things we're going to look at today. So why don't we uh, open up uh, the passage. Let me pray for us as we submit ourselves to God's Word. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we open your Word. Speak to our hearts. Let it it shine light into those areas of our hearts that need uh, your touch. Lord, we know that your Word is right and true and that you are faithful in everything that you do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So let's consider our passage today. If you don't have your Bible, it's there uh, on the screen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know. What kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Paul begins this letter with thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians and a description of the kind of prayers that he's been praying for them. In verse 4, Paul says, we know, we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. The power of the gospel begins with the fact that Paul can call these people family. He can call them brother. These, these, oftentimes these familial terms are, even, are, are sometimes either forgotten or used so casually by us in the church. So why do we use such familial terms for one another? And, and how, how can Paul call these strangers brothers? Well, he calls them brothers because they've been adopted. They have the same Father in heaven. Friends, we who call on the name of Christ, we are actually united. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, born again by the Holy Spirit. The family, this family, is more significant than any other blood relationship that we have. For instance, I have more in common with my friend and brother, Fashid, an Iranian believer who has been in jail for the last 18 months because he loves and serves Jesus. I have more in common with Fashid than I do with my own blood relatives in Florida who will not bow the knee to Jesus. And you have more in common with one another for those who call on the name of Christ than your own blood relatives as well. These Thessalonians are Christians and they are brothers. They have been adopted by God, chosen by God. As verse 4 says, because of his great love. I have a few friends who have been adopted. Uh, one of them is, is a, one of our students named Vui. Vui is from South Africa. And uh, she... As a baby, uh, her parents chose her out of all the children that were in the orphanage in which she had been, uh, been delivered into. Choosing her and choosing that child was difficult for her folks. But now they know that she is the exact child that they needed and that God had for them. You see, God's choosing, though, was not in a few hours like it is for Vui's parents. God's choosing was before the creation of the world. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, Paul says in Ephesians. His choosing is perfect. It's just. It's right. This past November, God's adoption of Vui became manifest in her own repentance and belief in Christ. And I had the joy of baptizing Vui, as you just saw there in, in that... Uh, in that, in that last slide, God is, God's love in choosing us is far deeper than any one of us deserves. It's, it's not by our own merit that we come to that. You see, this, we don't deserve this new life any more than the child in the orphanage deserves to be chosen as opposed to the other child. When Vui came home, she received all the rights and the privileges of a natural-born child. Her parents withheld nothing from her. Her parents paid a hefty sum to bring her out of that orphanage. They have taught her the character and values of their family. All the family relationships are now hers. And they have and will do everything in their power 
to keep Vui close to them and to keep that family together. And the inheritance, even the inheritance is hers. It's the same thing with, with us in Christ. When God adopts us, He graciously gives us all things. There's nothing that He withholds from us except for our own good. We are made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He promises that nothing will separate us from His love, and He imputes to us His righteousness, His character, His values. And He paid a price, the blood of His own dear Son, to pay the debt of our sins. Brothers and sisters, hear me in this. In Christ, we are no longer orphans. We are adopted sons and daughters daughters of God Most High. And I know this is difficult to grasp. I've struggled with it even this summer to, to think about what does that mean to be adopted by God. But one thing it means is we can stop acting like orphans. We don't have to act like orphans anymore, scratching out our own existence or seeking uh, what we want or the things that we think we need. We are sons of God, and to us has been given all good things from our Father. As, as, Paul, or as excuse me, James says, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. All of this is rooted in the gospel. Paul describes the power of God in these brothers in three ways, in verses 4 and 5. So, firstly, he says, by their response to the word of God, to the word of the gospel. Secondly, by the Holy Spirit's work in them through the gospel. And thirdly, because they have given themselves in full conviction to the gospel. Which begs the question about the gospel. There's a lot of confusion these days about what is the gospel. In, in fact, many have wandered far from what the Bible actually teaches about that message, the, the gospel. We've got to be clear for ourselves and for those who would hear us when we, when we say we're Christians. We need to be very clear concerning the gospel. My partner, Max Stiles, in his book, The Marks of the Messenger, says that the gospel is the message from God that leads to salvation. It's a message. The gospel is essentially news. And like any news, it's, it's there to be proclaimed. It's there to be communicated. This message from God that we call, we call it the good news. Uh, we call it the good news because there's actually some really bad news out there concerning us. Uh, the bad news is that we all stand condemned before a completely perfect, holy, and just creator. And he does not tolerate even the tiniest sin or the, the least rebellion in attempt to rule our own lives. And, and that's what we do. We want to run our own lives. We want to have, have it our way, like Burger King used to tell us. You know, we want to run life according to our own rules. We're constantly trying to do that. And every sin is a present reality for us. God will punish sin and treasonous rebellion in his wrath and eternal punishment in hell. Now that is 
truly bad news. The good news which is really good news, which we sang about today, is that there's a promise that Jesus saves all who are appointed for salvation, not only from sin, but from what our sins deserve, the wrath of God. The the truly amazing thing about this, as John Piper and others have, have said, that through the gospel, God saves us from himself. The mystery of God's sovereign power in the gospel. So you got God's sovereign power coming down in the person of Jesus, in that good news of the cross, and human responsibility. They, they come together like a mystery, like the beams of a cross, in that whoever would, would receive this promise repents and believes. It's an active thing. We have to be involved The power of God in the gospel is that he transforms our lives. We are no longer, through the gospel, enemies and rebels against God, but we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And this gospel completely changes who we are and how we behave, which brings us to our second point, the imitation of the gospel, the imitation of Christ in the gospel. Paul continues there in verses 5 and 6, saying, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. He'll go on in verse 7 to say that these Thessalonians then also they, they also became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Their lives were changed. Their lives were transformed. The gospel affects the way we live. But, but the way we live, you've you got to get this, the way we live does not make us any more or less acceptable in God's sight. You see, we are all still sinners we're saved by grace. We, we're sinners. who we've, we've always been sinners, and we are sinners, and we're going to continue to sin until the day we meet Him face to face. But we are being transformed, however, as we submit ourselves to Christ. We're being transformed by the work of God in us. And even as we are being transformed by the gospel, we are to call others to follow us in the gospel. Now, if you think about that, that's... That's a little intimidating. Hey, I want you to follow me. I know who I am. You know, I know, I know my own sin, my own thought patterns. Even just, just a day, even just an hour ago, I know who I am. How can I call somebody to follow me? I don't want them to follow my sin. I don't want them to, to, to do those kind of things. The great thing is that God has, has given us this, this, this call with a condition. Paul says elsewhere, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So how, how then do we imitate Christ? If we're to call others to follow us, we need to be following the right, the right one. How do we imitate Christ? Jesus very clearly says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So we must consider where he went. What was his life like? Well, think about that. He was ridiculed. He was scorned. He was slandered. He was opposed privately, publicly, and personally. 
They beat him. They spit on him. They condemned him to death. They tortured him, nailing him to a wicked and shameful cross. This is the Jesus that we follow. And this is what we're called to do. There's so much of our tendency to want others to like us. We, we fear what other people will think about us. Brothers and sisters, we need to fear God more than fear what men will think about us. That's why the Bible would say, be careful when all men speak well of you. There's a problem in that. Now, we don't want people to hate us, but we want to make sure that our lives reflect Christ. And this is what the Thessalonians faced as they came to, uh, to, to the gospel, as they came to faith. They had indeed reserve, received the word in much affliction. When the gospel came to them, uh, we see in Acts 17 the things that they faced when the gospel came, when Paul came with the gospel. They faced trouble in the synagogues and trouble in the, in the marketplace. The people formed a mob and they attacked the house where they were meeting. They brought those early believers to court, and they even uh, bribed them and extorted money from them uh, as they were being held in prison. And finally, they drove Paul and his companions out of the city. Yet those who were called to adoption believed the gospel. They were examples, in fact, to the world of those who had come to faith in the gospel in the midst of affliction and with joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you about my friend Fashid. Fashid uh, and 70 other believers uh, were taken on Christmas Day. Fashid lives in Tehran, Iran. And on Christmas Day in in, uh, 2010, he and 70 others were taken by secret police in a sting operation. What was their crime? Their crime was simply believing in Jesus and worshiping Him. Fashid is a, a shepherd and a leader in the underground churches there in, in Tehran. Uh, we've ministered together, actually. Uh, we've prayed deeply together. He stayed in my home uh, in the Arab Peninsula. Of those 70, they've all been released except for him. Uh, in, in fact, his family, his wife and his children, they fled by horseback over the mountains into Turkey where they're, where they're refugees now uh, waiting for, for the UN to take care of their situation. Our church is actually helping them to survive in that condition. But, but Fashid is in the most notorious prison in Iran and he has spent uh, multiple times as much as 40 days in isolation. All of this simply because he loves and serves Jesus. About six or eight weeks ago, we heard the first news directly from his mouth. His, his case had come up for appeal, uh, and at that time, his brother had the chance to, to talk with him. And this is what he said. I'm very well here with my Lord and remember you when I'm singing songs. I'm full of joy, hope, and life. And of course, I miss my family and friends. Uh, You know, he's an example of faith in the midst of much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, Fashion's story encourages us to stand for the faith no matter what would come against us. We don't, we may not have to worry about that in the way that Fashion has to worry about that. But you know what? We, We don't know 
if, if one day we may be called a, to account here in the United States, in, in a similar way that Israel was account, called to account in the days of the kings, where the freedoms that we celebrate and, and enjoy on a day-to-day basis may be taken away, just like in the days of Israel's captivity. You know, but there are others to imitate in your midst. God has given you elders and deacons who are, uh, 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 among other things, they are to be men above reproach, able to teach, and examples to the flock. Follow them. Follow these and others in your midst as they follow Christ. And, and men, you have a great opportunity to put this into practice right now with the 33. Uh, get a, be a part of it. Join into it and, and imitate one another as you imitate Christ. These Thessalonians imitated well because they had searched the Scriptures diligently to see if what Paul had said was true. They were very similar to their, their neighbors, the Bereans. So be careful who you imitate. Make sure that your imitation is ultimately an imitation of Christ. Go to the Bible. This is your source of understanding all of who God is, what He's like, and how to imitate Him. As the Thessalonians received and imitated others in the faith, they experienced the effect of the gospel in their lives. Which brings us to our third point in the sermon today, the effect of the gospel. So Paul's prayer highlights the effect that this gospel had on the Thessalonians. He, he thanks God for three specific things among the Thessalonians. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and the steadfastness of their hope in Christ. And Paul will go on, if you, if you look at it later, he'll go on to explain that or, or expound that in verses 8 through 10 as well. But let's, let's concentrate here on just those three things uh, quickly. The work of faith. Coming to faith doesn't merely mean just having a new idea about life and kind of, you know, you know, like changing your clothes. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's recognizing who God is, what He's like, and responding to Him in our hearts. It's, so it's both an, an internal, personal thing and an external, public expression. Uh, give you an example of, a, of a, a woman who has become part of our work. This is, uh, if, if any of you receive our updates, this is na- who I call Nancy. And Nancy uh, is from uh, a non-Christian home. She's from a Muslim background. But the Lord Jesus came to her at an early age. At age 12, she was uh, living in, in Nigeria with her family. And uh, she had this vision. And the vision was of people, a, a dark figures. She couldn't see faces. But they were trying to hurt her. They were going to beat on her. And she ran and hid herself in a closet. As she was hiding there, suddenly a light shone from underneath the door, the crack in the door. You know how that, that you can see light from outside? And the door opened and a voice uh, said, come and follow me. I will keep you safe. And an arm reached in and she took hold of this arm and, uh, and, and walked out with him. And as she did, uh, all these dark figures began beating at her and, and she was scared, but, but she was trusting, holding on to that arm. And as she walked along, she noticed as she looked at this arm that all those blows that were intended for her were actually scarring and bruising that arm 
rather than her own. She, uh, she got to the end of this place where they were, where they were walking to, and uh, he said, my name is Jesus, and you need to follow me. Suddenly, the vision ended. And she, she did the only thing that she, she could do as a young child. She asked her family, who is this Isa? Who is this Jesus? And uh, they, as, as, as Muslims, they, just, they went to the Quran and, and they said, well, here's what the Quran has to say about that. So it became, it became a, an image in her mind that she didn't know what to do with. Her family moved back to her home country uh, and her mother, wanting to get her into the best high school uh, ended up putting her in a, a missionary school. And uh, so there she, she heard this name, Jesus. She's like, ah, this is the man from my, my vision. And they, they told her about Jesus, and she became a believer. And uh, so, so that was wonderful. Well, then her mother found her Bible, and that wasn't so wonderful. <laughs> and uh, she was intending to come over to the United States to study, but her mother said, well, I'm not sending you over to that Christian country. I'm going to send you down to the Arabian Peninsula where you can get reacquainted with the faith of your fathers. Well, little did her mother know that she would uh, meet me and, and meet the, uh, the students in the, in, the, in the student work. And uh, she has grown. Nancy has grown amazingly, and I had the joy this past spring of baptizing Nancy. And, uh, and she, if you ask anyone, she is bold in proclaiming her faith. Her greatest desire now is to be able to share that with her father. Because she has this, this understanding that if her father came to faith, perhaps it would change the whole family. That comes with, with great cost, though, of course. Uh, you know, when... when uh, you know, there's consequences to, to sharing with him. It could have uh, significant or serious consequences. But again, uh, she's somebody that we, we want to pray for and, and uphold as an example. Often, uh, though, in, in our work, we see the opposite, both in, in the student work as well as in the church. We see people who call themselves Christian but they never get any further than just that basic elementary understanding of or an acknowledgement of the truth. You know, they, they believe that God is there, but they've never actually, you know, met him. They believe that, yeah, God is able to forgive sins, but they never asked him to forgive their sin. They believe that God is reliable, but they've never actually relied on him or leaned in on him themselves. Here's one of the things I tell students with this, this kind of deficient faith. Suppose you get a serious infection and there's a medicine that can cure you. Just knowing that the medicine exists is not going to help you. It's only when you take in that pill or take that injection into your body that you can be cured. So it is with the gospel. Believing that it can transform you is one thing. But actually allowing it to do that, that is putting that faith into practice. That is 
responding to the gospel. Allowing the faith to work in us transforms our lives, and we become completely new creations. For, for some, that, that work of the gospel will look quite differently than it will for others. For, for Stephen, uh, in our work, it's meant giving up alcohol. For Manuel, he stopped chasing women and he's, he's not worrying about who he's going to marry. And actually, Manuel has become quite an evangelist on campus. For Bassam, it's, mean, it's meant giving up the idolatry of success in the classroom at the expense of everything else. And now he's committed to, to actually coming to church rather than avoiding it in order to study. Last month, we took 20 students to northern India where we worked with Hindu converts. And, and these Hindu converts are a lot like our Thessalonian brothers and sisters that we've just been reading about. Those who have literally turned from idols to serve the living and true God. This gospel saves us from God's wrath and it transforms us, all who call to him in faith. Another of of the gospel's transforming effects is to change us from those who mainly love ourselves to those who, who love God and love others. Uh, Jesus speaks of the importance of this in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, when he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I, you know, it's not always easy to, to love one another. We're, we're not always the like, most likable people on the planet, you know. And if, if we're honest, we spend most of our time thinking about ourselves our own situation, you know, where how do I look and am I, am I sure that everything's okay? What do people think about me, you know, if I, if I say this or if I do that? If I help this person, how's that going to redound back to me? Am I going to benefit from this? Loving others means looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Consider how much parents sacrifice daily. Uh, for, for the sake of their children. They look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of that child. And, and this, is, this is the same kind of love that Jesus calls us to have for, for one another. To understand the depth of this love, look at how deeply Jesus loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Jesus gave up his life on the cross for the church. He died to himself. He died literally for you and for me. This kind of love he's called us to. Nissen is is one of our partners uh, in the work there. Nissen uh, grew up going to church, but it was only through focus that he finally understood what this gospel really meant uh, in terms of transforming his life. After graduating with a degree in marketing and and actually winning uh, several awards in debate and and that sort of thing, uh, Nissen's a smart guy. He's also pretty handsome. (laughs) But uh, he joined our staff team uh, in 2005 as an intern and has done so well, we've, we've asked him to come and be a part of our team. 
He gave up a potentially lucrative career in order to continue to reach university students with the gospel. We're, we are now preparing Nissen uh, and, his, and his lovely wife, Joanna, to take over leadership and direction of focus. And uh, God willing, he will do that uh, in the next couple years. He often puts aside his personal interests for the sake and interests of others. In fact, uh, we will see him many times even forsaking sleep in order to drive students across town to their dorm rooms after meetings. Paul commends the Thessalonians for their labor of love in verse 9 in highlighting the kind of reception we had among you. Whatever they had done in receiving Paul and his companions, we, we really don't know. I mean, it, it must have been some kind of feast or, or you know, uh, maybe like the luncheon we're going to have this afternoon. Uh, whatever it was, it was so impressive that everybody was talking about it in Macedonia and Achaia. The news of the gospel's power had gone out. The effect of the gospel had produced such a radical change in these Thessalonians that they're in their work of faith and their labor of love. And now Paul points uh, to the third effect, uh, their endurance and hope. The endurance of hope uh, in, these, in these guys uh, is both a past, present, and future sense. Think about salvation in those terms, uh, that Jesus has saved us, Meaning that he has, he has freed us from the bondage of sin and, and, and our, our rebellion against God. He has made us right in God's sight. And all this salvation is from the perspective of our personal past. But he's also currently saving us. He is saving us. And he's transforming us from what we used to be into what he's making us into. Changing us to be more like him. And finally, Jesus will save us as we come through death or his personal return, whichever is first. And we meet him at the judgment seat in heaven where he will be our advocate before the Father by his blood. And he will bring us into uh, that inheritance that has been waiting for us, being stored up for us in heaven. Do you realize how amazing that hope is? Uh, are, are you drawn to worship Christ as you consider that hope? Uh, it's, as, as we sang the song today, just thinking about the fact that, that we will stand before him. Yeah, we have, we have a whole lot more than 10,000 reasons to praise our Savior when we think about that. One test to know if you are truly saved is to consider how the news of Christ's return will hit you. Suppose uh, that, that suddenly uh, we got wind of, of, from heaven that, that Jesus was going to return before the softball games. It's not a storm that, that, that might be a threat for the games, but it might be, it might be Jesus' return. How is that news going to hit you? Are you going to be like, oh, man, I had, had so much I wanted to do today. Or, or, you know, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to, I wanted to be successful in my career. But Jesus is coming back. Or 
Will you lament all the things that you didn't get to do or didn't get to see? Or will you, will you contact everyone that you've ever had anything against and, and you know, try to get your slate clean, you know, before Jesus comes in the next couple hours? Or will you, like a bride on her wedding day, be preparing, be getting ready for that day when you're going to walk down the aisle to meet the bridegroom? I've had the joy of going to two different weddings and being a part of those weddings uh, this summer. And I guarantee you, those brides weren't thinking about anything else but seeing their groom. Is that how the news is going to hit you when Jesus cracks open the sky? If you're worried, if you're concerned, if you're thinking about other things, maybe you need to reexamine your faith. These Thessalonians believers had shown to the world the effect of the gospel. Their faith was real and it was working. Their lives were transformed in love for one another. And in the, and, and their hope, they were eagerly awaiting Christ's return and their own final deliverance. We too are called to live out the gospel in such a way as to magnify the glory of Christ to the world. So... Brothers and sisters, believe the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If you have not repented and believed this good news, as I've described it today, then then come and talk to one of the elders. We'll have an opportunity for that at the end of the service. Uh, You can do this today by turning from your sin, turning from your your will to, to rule your own life. Turning from whatever, to, from whatever you've been worshiping and turning to serve the true and living God, believing in Jesus' work on the cross. Give us the opportunity to explain to you in more detail what it means to follow Jesus. And, and my, my Christian brother and sister, let me encourage you to believe the promises of Jesus even in the difficult things, even in the difficult times. And receive your inheritance in heaven as one adopted by God. You are not an orphan. And you no longer need to scratch out your existence and your own provision. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him. Let the gospel and its power transform your life in faith, in love, and in hope. He's a good God. He is powerful God. He is the true and living God. Let's go to him in prayer now. Oh, Father God, we bless you and we thank you for who you are as the creator of the universe and, and that you have, by your own will, have, have opened the eyes of those who have believed. And Lord, you have made it possible for us to come to faith, to to respond to this gospel. Lord, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that they would would hear this news, that you would take the veil from their eyes so that they can respond to you even today. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, that we would remember that gospel and always preach it to ourselves, not turning uh, 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 to the left or to the right, uh, trying to, to earn our own existence but Lord, to trust in you and your provision. 
Lord, let us be ever mindful of what you have done for us on that cross in faith and hope and love responding to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.